Behold! The sword of power. Excalibur. Welcome to the Oh Gosh, Oh Golly, Oh Wow podcast, the podcast where we talk about the Marvel comic series Excalibur and nothing but Excalibur every week for 126 plus weeks. This week, we are body sliding back in time a little to discuss Excalibur Annual number two, starring Britannic, but also Kurt and Amanda and Warlock and Doug doing super sex, which mostly makes up for it. Excalibur Annual number two was originally published in May 1994, and we've got three stories at play. The first story, The Interpretation of Dreams, features Richard Ashford on writing, John Royal on pencils, Phil Moy. Bill Anderson and W.C. Karani on inks, Janice Chang on letters, and Ariane Lenshock on colors. The second story, Black Queen Rising, features Eric Fien on writing, Derek Gross on pencils, Bob Wyasek, Terry Austin, Bill Anderson, and Andrew Peepoy on inks, Janice Chang on letters, and Monica Bennett on colors. And our third and final story, A Change of Worlds, features Kim Yale on writing, Hannibal King and Yancey Yabat on pencils, Jason Minor, Keith Champagne, and W.C. Karani on inks, Dave Sharp on letters, and Chris Mathis on colors. Suzanne Gaffney is the editor of it all. Or I'll drain every last ounce of his precious life. Celine, let him go. Please. Pathetic. Your affection for this X-Men has ruined you. Listen to her. You have no idea who she is, do you? Welcome back to a tired end-of-term podcast with your tired but tenacious crew of Excalibots. I don't know what that joke is. I just thought Excalibots sounded funny. <laughs> and also Mav made a joke about replacing some of his functions with chat GPT last week. And that's sounding better and better to me as I creep toward the end of this tiring semester. But who am I? I am one of your hosts, Dr. Anna Papard. You know me. I talk about gender and sexuality and pop culture and always find a way to relate everything to Lucifer lately. I'm the co-project lead of Sequential Scholars, where at the time of this recording, we just wrapped a series of threads on Hellboy and BPRD, with a thread by Andrew about pancakes, or should I say pamcakes? A yeah. uh, perfect way to end a super fun series. I am also Kurt Bogner's unofficial PR manager, and hey, I'm not mad at this one. This is the most stuff that Kurt's done in like a year of Excalibur comics, and he <laughs> wears some, some very, very tight jeans, and Gives out hugs and kisses, so, you know, I'm, I'm I'm sitting pretty mostly this week. I'm going to make the most of it. I'm joined, as always, by Mav. How are you holding on during these dog days of the semester? I'm doing fine. Hi, hi my name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav. I just a little public service announcement here. Um, and Or not even <laughs> a public service announcement. More of a request. So I would like to say, and this is not bragging, this is just what I've been told. I'm a man with a cute butt. I've been told that my butt is nice. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's why I'm Congratulations. <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, now it, it's but but see, it's not about that. I I I I've been told it's pleasant, and I'm also a man who um, I I do not believe in kink shaming. So if a gentleman wants to live his life in just a white thong, that's fine, right? Like if that if that's the look that you've gone for because you'd like to show up off your your very nice looking butt, go for it, you know. And then you know, and I I actually I've always appreciated. You know, Jamie made that choice to go for like this whole kink androgynous look and it's working for him and yay. However, if I were to ever <laughs> fall into a coma for say three, four, five years, <laughs> you know, oh, for I an know. indeterminate amount of time and and like you and this this is either the two of you or any listener that we have. If, if you <laughs> as a person find yourself in charge of my medical care and need to transfer me, you know, from where I fell into a coma to a medical facility to another medical facility across the country at some point maybe throw a gown on me just saying you know like, like like why am i still wearing why is not i because it hasn't happened to me why is jamie 
still wearing the same, you know, sexy panties that he was when he fell into the coma in the first place. That's like literally 80 issues ago. I don't know. It was it was quite a while. <laughs> and and it's weird. And and just, you know, I don't know. Like the decent thing to do is just they're at Murray Island. There's a research facility. Just toss a gown on him. That's all. That's all I'm saying. But beyond that, I'm, I'm doing okay. Um, I mean, these are the questions that occupy my mind as I am feverishly trying to work my way through grading midterm papers just in time to start grading finals tip papers. That's where mm-hmm. I am in my life. So, you know, and I'm and I'm also in the middle of trying to like deal with I, got, I have two project presentations for two different th- places coming up that I've, you know, I'm I'm not done with. And yeah, you know, I got a lot going on. So instead I'm I'm doing the responsible thing and thinking about Jamie Braddock's underwear. Wow, that really bothered me too. I was like, but is he wearing the same loincloth? Because that's really gross. I mean I don't think it's a loincloth. I, I think it's a thong. I think it's I mean again okay. and again, whatever it is, it's been years, you know. I know. And it's it's not just like it's been years of issues. Betsy and Brian's conversation implies that it's been, I mean, comic book time, but at least indeterminate amounts of months, if not years, that he's been comatose. Mm-hmm. So that's bizarre. Give the man a, give the, give the man a, you know, some pants. <laughs> just give the man a sponge bath. My goodness. Sure. The cruelty. Yeah, <laughs> Andrew, what's the state of your sanity? Could be better my <laughs> five-year-old son was having nightmares again last night and woke up screaming at 2 30 a.m took a very long time to calm him down but after about 20 minutes of like heaves and convulsions i got him to a place where he could just speak to me and he asked me daddy do you think the hosts of the battle of the atom podcast are going to come here to try and hurt us and because i believe in being honest with my children i had to say i don't know son but I'm Dr. J. Andrew DeMann, a well-mannered lecturer at Stanford University and convivial co-project lead at Sequential Scholars. Uh, and as a podcast co-host, I would just describe myself as not an aggressive bully because not everything has to be a quote-unquote battle. Wow. I, that's a deep, that's a deep cut, say, Andrew. <laughs> I so appreciate you throwing your child under the bus for the sake of a bit on our show. <laughs> that respect kind of. I, I don't actually have a son so i i was wondering about i know, that you, I know you have two you have two daughters you have two daughters and i'm like oh okay where's he going with this and i was just like okay so, but but it was just like i was like i was rolling with it and i'm like oh maybe he does have a son but i, I, I thought that there were, his two Get kids i thought they were both girls but i don't know and then and then but then the story i, was I like, did oh, panic a little i was like did i did i misunderstand my friend's entire life up to this point and i was panicking, Maybe, panicking there, could, a little. there could have been a transition i mean i was i was with the story but <laughs> oh that was great <laughs> better than my underwear story i i, I appreciate that god I, I got nothing this week other than just a lot of questions about about betsy braddock's boobs that's what i'm bringing that's the energy oh i'm my bringing god to yes i have that in my notes as well <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah well we have so much yes all right <laughs> Anyway, you can kind of tell from our drunk tone this week. Uh, We're on our own this week, so we're keeping it loose. (laughs) We are just doing a solo one, which we haven't done for a while, but we thought it would be fun for this issue. And we didn't necessarily want to inflict this one on on anybody else. So we're just here putting in time, uh, but we'll have a fun one. And since it is just us, let's just get right into the issue summary. And then we'll get into into our three ultra dense, ultra important stories that we're covering today. So I know we've got lots of lovely listeners reading along with the pod, which is especially important when we cover issues that aren't on Marvel Unlimited. But hey, we've got you covered because we're going to summarize it so good you'll feel just like you were there in 1994, wondering if you'd misspent your $2.95 American or whopping $4 Canadian on this issue. You did. So here we you go. did. It was a waste. <laughs> never gave that money back. <laughs> in our first story, The Interpretation of Dreams, Psylocke, aka Betsy Braddock, travels to Muir Island to help her brother Brian, aka Britannic at this point still, who's having dreams about an apocalyptic future that apparently only Jamie Braddock can stop. Together, the Braddock twins search for a cure for Jamie's mental instability, let's call it. They use Moira's Proteus room combined with Betsy's telepathy to travel through Jamie's mind, searching for a time from childhood when Jamie was good, but to no avail. Apparently, Jamie's always been terrible. They eventually settle for leaving Jamie with a fake, happy-ish memory of them playing together
together as kids, but he's still in a catatonic state and still in his thong, loincloth. Nice job, everybody. In our second story, Black Queen Rising, Amanda Sefton, aka Day Tripper, wakes from a waking nightmare in which she was being unraveled at a molecular level by something called a spooling chamber. Things go from bad to worse when the plane she's traveling on as a flight attendant starts to crash. Amid the panic, Amanda receives a psychic message from the villainous Celine, saying she needs her help and won't take no for an answer. If Amanda doesn't agree to help, Celine will let everyone on the plane die. Amanda does the hero thing and finds herself in the basement of a gothic mansion where Celine is being torn apart by the aforementioned spooling machine. Amanda liberates Celine from the machine just as Nightcrawler shows up. Celine shoves Kurt into the machine. He painfully and noisily unspools as Amanda and Celine fight. Daytripper is nearly defeated but lifts the heavy thing in response to Kurt's pleas for help and uses the power of love to hurl Celine through five stone walls. Amanda then leaves Kurt and manages. Amanda then flees with Kurt and manages to escape before the mansion explodes. Celine, meanwhile, is shown wandering through a swamp, still partly unspooled. In our third and final story, A Change of Worlds, a package arrives for Kitty from her mother. Kitty opens it and finds that it contains several diskettes from her X-Men days. She fires up the floppies and finds the personal logs of Doug Ramsey, talking a bunch about how much he loves Warlock and his yearning for a noble death. Kitty isn't nuts about this blast from the past and goes to confront Douglock, but Douglock doesn't recognize himself in the logs, reminding Kitty he's not the same guy. We conclude with Kurt comforting Kitty, reminding her that no one can be what someone else wants them to be, and that they are all only human. Or in this case, mutant. But whatever, we'll go with it. Okay, let's do first impressions. I think we'll go kind of through the stories one by one. But uh, yeah, I'm curious what the two of you made of this one, because Mav, I know that you said you didn't quite remember it, and Andrew, you weren't even sure if you'd read it before. So how about you, Mav? How are you feeling about this one? I'm certain I've read this before. Um, I read it when it came out. I do own the issue. I recognize the cover. I read it, and this is without without exaggeration, as we record, two hours ago. And <laughs> yeah. promptly forgot almost all of it. <laughs> I was just like, like, I got through this, and I was like, oh, what, what was that about? I don't, this was... I mean, you know, sometimes you're like, well, that was a comic. All right. Not so sure. Yeah. Don't know that I could say this was a comic. I, I don't. This was dumb. Um, this is just <laughs> words thrown together. This entire issue is this is during the period. I mean, annuals have always existed in order to fulfill publication. Like, yeah, like, like, like just fulfill obligations to publication to publishers. And like it's, it's because of the way comics are on a monthly print press cycle but they're actually not really on monthly print press cycle they're on a four week print press cycle or at least they were at the time and there are some months have a fifth week so you end up with about three or four times a year where you need to ship some extra books in order to stay on schedule so that's where annuals come from and that's why they tended to be filling issues for a long time or then eventually they were you know you do this thing where you're like okay we're gonna have like a crossover running through annuals that's where all that came from or you could just the Throw whatever you have out there. There are 13 artists in this book, not including the pinups by Larry <laughs> Stroman and <laughs> and Neil McLuddy. This is just, I don't know why any of this is. And of the three stories, this is easily my least favorite. This is a bunch of nothing. None of it makes any sense. Like it, it doesn't stand together. Oh, I, I hate this so much. Like you want to talk about? Wow. Like, there's I, like I, I. This is so bad. It literally makes me feel bad for Britannic for ruining his character. <laughs> this, is, this is garbage. This is so bad. Yeah, I mean, I really don't like the first story, and it was one of those ones that. I mean, I only have a digital file of it. So I was like trying to read it on my computer and it's that like 90s art and 90s fonts where I just like it was hard to read and I had to like zoom way in to even read it. And I was just grumpy because of that. I haven't had to do that since we covered that X-Men Unlimited issue. And I didn't like mm -hmm. going back in time to this particular style of 90s art and just being like, oh, painful to read, painful to yeah. read. So there was that. But I don't know. I'm going to stand up for some parts of the of the next two. Probably oh, not for next, good reasons, of the, but of the next <laughs> two there the next two have moments this has yeah. nothing good they're they're yeah. like i hate everything about this and i'll give details when we when we go into it but yeah yeah we'll get into the first one in a minute andrew how was your encounter with this one your first encounter with excalibur yeah, annual number two um so i completely agree with everything mav says what i would kind of color that with a little bit is like i think there was actually a lot of potential in the stories that they were trying to tell like they didn't sure have 
nothing to work with. You know what I mean? Like, like the one that stands out for me is Amanda because Amanda's yeah. been around for a while now and I still don't know mm -hmm. who she is. They, they haven't defined that character. I still don't even know what color her cape is because it's different every single <laughs> comic yeah. But like, tell me a solo Amanda story about her encountering um, uh, another witch character that you could do some cool juxtaposition things with uh, and explore her relationship with Kurt, have him in it as well. Like that's a good premise. Uh, a good writer could do something awesome with that. The whole mm -hmm. Douglock thing, same. We, we need that. We need that character development. Um, and then the this Jamie thing it. could be interesting. Yeah. So, so again, like there was a lot of potential here and I think they had pieces that could have worked. It just, it didn't. They didn't try anything. They just made it generic. I mean, the best example I can give you of that is the, the arc, if you will, from the first story is Jamie goes from laying in a comatose state to laying in a comatose state in the exact same bed with slightly elevated brain activity <laughs> and that's what the story gave us you know what i mean like, like you literally didn't get anywhere and, and that's frustrating and as i said the amanda one is the one that sticks out to me because i really want to know who amanda is in this new mm -hmm. context because this is a fascinating character to me who's never been really developed yeah no yeah i agree that was my favorite of the three stories it was the only one i strongly remembered in part because of the spooling chamber being a pretty cool visual yeah but um we'll get to that let's start with the first one the first one that mav hates so much and i do totally agree uh <laughs> just the thing that's struck me about this first story is that like I didn't it was just one of those badly told stories where I didn't get it like they kept talking about going back to some point in which their relationship with Jamie was good but Jamie was that never point, good no yeah. that, that's not a point which is which they know from the story because they have to invent a memory for him so I know they know right. I understand that Marvel is that Marvel Comics has you know at the point in which they're telling this they're at 60 years of history now we're at 90 right like so like we've got a long time of, of comics to go through not everybody can no one can know all of it i'm fine with that right i'm fine if you for it to in order to tell your story maybe you retcon something you fudge things a little bit this is not logically consistent within its own story i mean yes obviously the not being logically consistent with how uh, consistent with how the braddock um, siblings treat each other but like from the very first beginning of the story we are led to believe that betsy has heard the psychic cry so she hopped on a plane and flew from new york to scotland to help her brother out at the beginning of the story she's just gotten there so she's flown to scotland to help brian on this thing and then by the end of the story She's like, I've got to, I, I've got to catch my plane back. So literally <laughs> you flew, like you put on your X-Men uniform. You didn't fly in regular clothes. You, you, you flew in uniform from New York to the UK to spend 15 minutes there. Just the, the, the waste of gasoline on the plane like even <laughs> if you took the blackbird like just like the the fossil fuel waste is enormous like like and i mean and by the way you know teleporters right like if you if you'd said hey we need help yeah. so we sent amanda to go get betsy or something but then she's not in a rush like what how who flies cross-continental hops the pond for 15 minutes this makes no <laughs> sense and that is the least of the problems with this story like like uh, yeah. um i mean there's wonder twins in here that like um, that they fight and then and then all of a sudden Betsy and Brian have a psychic link, but then they forget about it two panels later. What the hell's going on here? Yeah, it was just a frustrating one. I mean, I don't even want to complain about how it's not in continuity because I feel like that's like self-evident. Like this doesn't make sense with aspects of the story that have been told up to now. But it's just also yeah. like there's just a lot of weird parts of it where they're just like, oh, this is where, you know, Jamie started to make some mistakes. And like he was stealing supplies from the Red Cross and enslaved people i don't think that's like some mistakes <laughs> i don't know it's just like well you know, he's just a little boys. misguided yeah <laughs> like i mean brian was so mad at him that he like left him behind to be tortured because he thought he was completely irredeemable and why would his mind have changed about that in the wake of what they went through at that party where like <laughs> jamie like killed and abused killed all of his friends, friends. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so whatever anyway andrew what was your what was your reaction to this one probably much the same uh the jamie story um i think it's riffing on a much better story which is always a problem it's trying to be that mm. thing where psylocke is being brainwashed by the hand where they do mm -hmm. explore the childhood relationship between the twins in a way that i kind of liked 
Sure. Um, and here you don't get that. It's real generic and kind of real stupid. And Jamie's animosity towards the twins for having a link because they're twins just doesn't make sense enough to justify his villainy towards them, which is no. what I think they're trying to set up. Yeah. Like, like his enduring hatred of them. Like why Dr. Doom hates Reed, which doesn't make well, sense yeah. either. I'm, I'm <laughs> so almost just, there I, with, they're working I'm, I'm almost there with like i think you could be like hey it's not you know there is something to the fact that maybe jamie is jealous because he didn't get to be captain britain brian did and like i'm the older brother why isn't it my birthright except for one if you care about continuity jamie doesn't really know that because all that happened later like last time jamie and brian talked mm -hmm. brian's mm -hmm. captain britainness was like you know an accident it had nothing to do with hereditariness right so jamie doesn't know any of that but yeah no fine he's psychic but if you're gonna say he's psychic all right why are you bitching you're the only one you know brian's the only one who doesn't have mutant powers brian gets to be captain britain and betsy gets you know whatever psychic powers we need him to have her to have for this story arc and jamie can pull on the strings of reality fine you know like like you didn't really lose out because you don't get to punch stuff <laughs> like that's well, it's yeah. so weird it's it's just everything about it would be it's weird and and it, and that could work except for it's undermined like literally you know two panels later when he's using his other powers and when brian's saying you didn't deserve it anyway and i'm like why does brian think you didn't deserve it he was trying to redeem you literally on the last page like everything about it is just inconsistent and weird yeah it's hard to handle jamie because he's not sane and so that like when you're trying to do this brotherly jealousy story or something i feel like the only times there was a time where it worked in the pages of excalibur yeah it just it had to be really surreal and like go to that well and like i did like the apartheid colonialism kind of context for the character as part of his villainy but then we've strayed so far away from that now and they've tried to make it this like competition jealousy thing which it never was but we don't have like all the stories in between to fill that in we're just supposed to like put the pieces of this together based on tropes that they're name checking and i just no. i don't have patience for it i'm just like i don't care about this i'm everyone ignores that this story happened and i'm very happy to do the same because it doesn't it, matter it doesn't make it sense it couldn't have happened yeah, i mean that's the thing it, mm -hmm. it's like there is no contextual place where it makes sense why is you know why is he britannic instead of brian and yet behaving like brian and yes i get that like in the comics where we are now uh the britannic thing just is slowly going away because it was stupid <laughs> though it is kind of it, it is adorable that brian is remembering the year 2040 where he's still where he's still britannic and it's like oh mm -hmm. oh you guys had a lot you had a lot of faith in that in that idea that <laughs> no <laughs> but <laughs> Like, literally, oh it's just like, what are you doing? Everything about this is just sort of, I don't understand why any choices that were made in this book were made other, I mean, in this story, anyway, other than the fact that they wanted to have, you know, the Braddock siblings punching at each other, which is a thing that they've done before in every combination, much better. In fact, including the last yeah. time we saw the three of them together. The last time we saw the yeah. three of them together, Jamie was that was a murderer and it was a better story. So I don't even know. Like, I feel like I sort of want to talk about the boobs, but like, I also don't because I like feel like we've talked about this before on the podcast, but I just couldn't help really noticing it here i think because we've moved away from some of the extreme 90s art you know in our chronology because we're going back to 1994 here and just the particular style of art in this story but like i don't know the way psylocke is rendered in this in this story is depressing and I just like, I want to be clear about what I'm talking about when I talk about that too. Like sexualization is not something we're against on this podcast, obviously, no. but just like this way of rendering breasts where it's like, it just feels like they're not even drawn by someone who enjoys breasts. They're yeah. drawn by someone <laughs> who just like wants to imagine possessing the idea of breasts and like is just drawing these objectified <laughs> objects. I just don't understand what it is because it's not even sexy. I just don't even get it. It's a I think it depends on, Yeah. I think sometimes it's better than others, but then it, like it's this story had four pencilers on it. So, you know, yeah. who knows who, who drew what line. It, it, this is clearly a rush job. So I, I think it's especially bad. 
because there are four people who can't even coordinate in order to do the sexy 90s thing. Your your right. mileage may vary on the, the surreal objectification of bodies that is 90s artwork, the extreme style. There's a reason why people don't like it, but also there's a way that that is supposed to look. And I don't think this is even what that's supposed to look like because there's some places where, where she just looks like, you know, she looks like someone's trying to draw her like Jim Lee drew her. And then there's other places where she's wearing not just the they're large not just that they're you know unbelievably gravity defying sometimes they're just misshapen in in a way that's not pleasing i don't think it's even trying to be sexy i think it's trying to be done and not having the time or the patience to erase a line that you made by mistake oh i drew that wrong oh well that's that's how it feels that one panel where it's sort of like she's on her back and we're like looking up yeah. sort of her body the one, and yeah. the, the breasts the are like <laughs> torpedoes like towering over her head and i just don't even understand why anyone would draw something like that it's not sexy and mm-hmm. it's not anything it's just like you had to draw a woman and so you thought the way that i can indicate that she's a woman is to make these torpedo like mounds extending from her body <laughs> just to really yeah from her chin just to really make it clear Mm -hmm. that the most important thing about her is that she has boobs that are like torpedoes isn't this great i just don't understand it (laughs) on a fundamental level i don't know well and and i I mean we're we're focusing on the breast because because the artwork is but just anatomically in that panel her legs don't work like they should she's got her left leg is coming out of her crotch and her right leg is bent behind her foreshortened into the distance to where clearly it has been ripped from her body and is you know six feet away i don't understand any of what's going on in the artwork here and that's why i'm thinking it's just bad and lazy and it's an annual that that no one was going to care about and i don't think anybody cared when they were making it yeah i know i guess it just made me think about all this 90s excess artwork Mm -hmm. stuff again and like just thinking about what i would define as like good or fun excess and like what i would define as not that and like yeah i was just thinking about patrick fillion's like porn comics with like the exaggerated enormous penises and like nipples on the guys and the huge packs and butts and everything and i'm like there's a reference to that in like extreme 90s art and yet that feels like it's drawn by somebody who likes pecs and butts and cocks and the way that this is drawn it doesn't feel like it's drawn by someone who likes any of these features of women it's just it's objectified in a way that's like dehumanizing like in a way that it's not even sexy and i was just like Mm -hmm. this is like what i hate the most about this kind of artwork because if it's going to be extreme i would at least like it to be like extreme in a way that you can feel like desire in it and not just extreme (laughs) because it's just inevitable you know because like Mm -hmm. i just don't know any other way to draw bodies and this is what i'm doing and that i don't know i don't like that i don't like it so can i direct you to to turn the page let's see i think it's like four pages later you have a point where 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 Betsy and Jamie have been fi- have been fighting and then we go to another scene where Brian is just hanging out posing for a pinup that's the story like it's no la- like there's no like Brian uh, when we see him again and I'm not sure if that's supposed to be him posing in the real world or if it's supposed to be him posing in, in Jamie's dream world it doesn't matter because the story doesn't care so why should I cuz whether he's in the dream world or he's in the real world there should be a sense of urgency because his siblings are in the middle of a fight to the death. But now he's going to stand here and just sort of, this looks like it was drawn for an end of the issue pen up, not for a story. There's also a swipe of the, oh, who am I thinking of that did that really good Jamie Braddock issue that we did like that was like set in the cross time caper. Rick Leonardi? Uh, yeah. There's like a swipe from Rick Leonardi's splash page on that page as well yeah, with eye. Brian doing the pen up. Yeah, yeah. Which I noticed right away since we talked about that on the podcast. But like, yeah, mm-hmm. that up a brian too i mean it's just like i don't know i love talking about the fun complexity of super sex and everything but again this particular style of 90s excess in this issue it's just boring because again like the breasts are exaggerated in a way that's not even sexy and then this pinup of brian it's like everything is exaggerated except for the super flat action figure crotch and you're just like all the ways that people make fun of like the absence of sexuality in the excess of superhero comics it's just like yeah this story it's boring also is his his legs are bent and i mean like people like to tease say rob liefeld it's like oh is it? but like mm-hmm. there is whether you like his art or not there's intention to it 
where I understand the choices he's making. They might not be choices for me, but when Rob draws, Rob knows what he's drawing and he's not like Rob's not drawing basketball breasts and, you know, thimble waist on accident. He knows what he's doing and he's made a choice. This is not that. This is four people drawing as quickly as they can to try and imitate Rob's hyper real art star style and not getting there. Like Andrew said, it's a simulacrum. It's a, it's the most postmodern comic ever there. I've said something yeah. nice about it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> All it's right, not well, nice. It's a, that, 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 that's a backhanded academic comment for anybody. Who yeah. doesn't know. I actually like postmodernism, but this is this exists because someone needed to get a 295 comic on the newsstands and they had a week to do it. That's mm -hmm. what this feels. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. All right. Let's talk about the Amanda story, because I think we like that okay. one a little bit better. Better. <laughs> much better. I like it not better. Good. I like Derek. Much better. I like Derek Gross's artwork better. I like I mm -hmm. like everything about it a lot better. And like, I think it's done. As Andrew said, have a lot more potential because this is a story that we haven't seen. Like it's an Amanda-focused story. Looking at what Amanda is doing with her life, I was asking on a previous episode: Is she still working as a flight attendant? What's she doing? And it's yep. like, yeah, she is still working on a flight as a flight mm -hmm. attendant. Except for sometimes she gets called away to magical emergencies. And I'm like, I love this as a context for Amanda. This is a good setup. So Andrew, what were your thoughts about it? Like, I mean, you said that you like the idea of it, but we're frustrated by some of the execution. Yeah, I think so. So Amanda's sort of um, um relationship to Excalibur has been very like drop in and drop out kind of thing mm -hmm. um and that's that's cool I actually kind of like that dynamic we, we, we've seen it in other superhero comics where it, it can really work when you do stuff like that uh but I still feel like I want to see her defined I, I want to know what's the state of her relationship with Kurt I want to know the limits of her powers I want to know how she's likely to respond in any given situation based on her personal ideologies beliefs and motivations um all things that enhance the like drama and tension um in every Excalibur comic that she's going to be in hereafter right um and I don't get any of that like again yeah. I, I think pairing her with <laughs> Celine is a good idea. Like, like that's a good villain to pair her up against. Um, but there's no exploration of her powers. It's just pew pew. Nightcrawler shows up. <laughs> so yeah. there's elements to it that could work, and it just didn't. It didn't happen for me. Too bad. Yeah, I mean, the problem is this whole issue hinges on Kurt and Amanda's deep love for each other, and that's always been a weird relationship. So I don't know that that works for me as the crux of this issue. Even though you know I want to buy yeah. into it. Again, this is like yeah. an issue where Kurt and Amanda and their deep love for each other keeps him from disintegrating, allows her to lift the heavy thing and like throw Celine through multiple walls. And then there's like the super sexual metaphor part of it where they have to put their powers together in order to teleport out of the building and then we have a massive explosion as they teleport out in each other's arms i'm like <laughs> you have no idea how much i want to be all aboard with this but it just uh, the execution was not so good and i think it did have to do with the characterization of amanda primarily although you know i also had issues with the kurt of this in that he wouldn't call for help yeah i just that really strikes me as something he would never do and i really thought about why i felt that and i'm like well so much of kurt is like one of his flaws is his tendency to self-sacrifice there's no way he would say amanda help me there's no way I just don't buy it. It really struck me as mm. off. And I was curious about whether the two of you felt similarly. I, I definitely flagged it as abnormal when I read it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not as it didn't bother me as much as I think it bothered you, but that's not so much that it didn't bother it, it's just that there were there were bigger sins. Um yeah. <laughs> and in the issue, but even in this story, which again, I, I did like this story better than the previous one. Partly is because because I like the character of Amanda. I like the character of Amanda a lot. And as Andrew was hinting at, you know, we're sort of starved for content with her that matters. So I also like that she's got a life outside of Excalibur. I like that she comes and goes. Yeah. I like that she's got better things to do. Even if that better thing is like your day job as a flight attendant, that's cool. But then there's just like, it's another one of those things where there are tonal inconsistencies within the story. If it doesn't yeah. match with another story, fine. But like, so four pages in, she's like, I'm the Sorcerer Supreme. And I'm like, uh, you're, you're what now? Um, <laughs> she, that's what she says. One quick teleportational wow. spell and this Sorcerer Supreme is on the grounds of a seemingly deserted mansion. Oh, uh, okay. 
I mean, <laughs> now there is a point later in continuity where she will be Sorcerer Supreme of Limbo, but that hasn't happened yet. Is she Sorcerer Supreme of Earth? Because Doc Strange is just, you know, wandering around like he's just in the world right now. And this scene and Amanda is classically, unless something's happened, like her whole big thing is she's not really very good at magic. That's like been, uh, and I kind of think she should be, you know, like I like seeing the character grow, but that hasn't happened yet. So it's a weird thing for her to say. And if she's going to say that, why is she having such problems fighting a injured Celine who specifically says, I'm way more powerful than you, which sure. Okay. But then if you're way more powerful than her, then how is she Sorceress Supreme? Like, like literally everything about this seems weird. So then uh, another thing is like she she gets there. She gets there to rescue Celine. She doesn't know about the, you know, the booby trap with the machine. But she sees that but Celine's like, yeah, I'm really trapped and I just needed help. So I'm so come here. So so I and I knew, you know, Xavier's rules, which why Amanda's following Xavier's rules. I don't know. But Xavier's rules say you have to help every, anybody. So I knew you'd come. So Amanda shows up and she's like, all right, well, I guess I have to help you no chance to no time to call anybody else why don't i just start pressing buttons like this is a <laughs> this is a science thing not a magic thing and you know like you personally know better people to handle this situation and there's no reason for you to think time is of the ur- of the essence here so really call kitty <laughs> like like, this, like you know her phone number this is a perfect situation where you're like oh i better call kitty or Douglock because um, this is more their element and they would be able to help here. So things like that just like feel weird. How did Kurt get here? Kurt was, you know, somewhere and and, um, and Amanda got teleported out of a plane to a random location. I don't know where they are, but Kurt can only teleport like two miles. So are they just like somewhere near Scotland? I, like so much of this I, is weird. I was me. unclear about that. And he gives this detailed explanation at the end, which at first I read it and I was like, oh, that makes sense. And I was like, wait, no, it doesn't. We don't know where we are. So yeah. right, right. I don't, I mean, I don't know. I like they, they could like, they could be in Edinburgh, right? Like they could be I, in yeah, Scotland maybe. and, and like, he's just teleported like four hops from Mer Island. Right. Like that's, mm-hmm. that, that is a possibility. Or they could be in Uganda. I don't know. <laughs> like it could be anywhere on earth. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I don't know. I just I really like the setup, like again, of you know, it being a Kurt and Amanda story that's told from Amanda's perspective. Because I think I was saying mm-hmm. in a previous episode that like that can be a great setup for her. I like, you know, an Amanda story where Kurt is her like mutant boyfriend that just drops in from time to time and it's a specific reversal too, right? Because Celine was gonna put Amanda in the tube, but instead Kurt shows mm-hmm. up and she puts him in the tube and he's, you know, the damsel in distress and she has to be strong and fight for him, like both physically and emotionally strong and i think that that's a good setup i mean he's the one who's like breaking down emotionally and it's like i can't do it i can't do it she's like yes you can be strong for me and i'm like that's a nice little reversal i like that in theory again i think it's out of character for kurt but i think that's a good setup but like yeah i don't know so here's here's the here's the thing in that section i i mean i i would want to enjoy that i think you're right except Mm -hmm. that right before that you have amanda saying hang on kurt i'll get you out but you're going to have to wait for the spooling cycle to complete. Otherwise, you'll it, you'll wind up like Celine, horribly wounded or worse. How do you know that? What are you talking? Yeah, You've I never know. seen this I machine know. before. It, it, like, what spooling cycle? Like, what do you know? How does she know how this works? <laughs> all of a sudden, like she didn't she, she didn't know buttons. what button to press. <laughs> yeah, and and she doesn't know. And and then like, but she she does figure it out. And then Kurt's like, oh, the pain. Okay, I mean, I, I get that it's painful, fine. But like, if she said, look, if she does see to know how it works kurt would go okay i get it this is gonna suck but i'll I'll deal with it you know he's been through worse you know i guess and then how she get him out i i don't like she just reaches in and she reaches in (laughs) okay i guess i guess i guess it wasn't that difficult the buttons weren't really necessary like literally everything about this is just like inconsistent and that's why and those are the things that i hate just tell me a story that like that like makes sense for the 10 pages you're telling the story that that would be fine especially since i like these characters i like kurt i like amanda i'm the weird guy who wants their relationship to work out so give me anything here like just like just help me out to give me something so that i can be like oh the power of love thing that she did you said do they have that relationship i don't know but she's just like don't need money don't need 
fame, don't need no credit card. To write. Like, I don't like how does she know these things where she's just like, oh, because Kurt needs me now I can blast you comically through four walls. I Nothing makes sense in the story, but it's better than the last one. And that's kind of where, where I was like, I was like, oh, I enjoy this. But I'm not even sure if I really enjoyed it so much as I was just like, I hate it. But what I read right before this so much that I was just like, oh, this is better. <laughs> and yeah, you have to have like a build up to that moment where like your love is so powerful that it turns out you can do something you weren't able right. to do. Like there's a structure to that trope. You know, there has to be an initial failure to be able to do that. And it has to be kind of built up over time. And then so that the overcoming of the odds makes dramatic sense. And this is just a not enough to do that trope. Because I like that trope. It's a good trope. But, you know, uh, it's just not done properly. I mean, I wanted to ask about, like, I mean, is the spooling chamber thing just invented for this story? Or has this been yeah, something no. we'd seen before? No, this is, I've before. never heard of You have? Oh, yeah, totally. It's uh, John Romita Jr., um, Drew, Celine, one of the upstarts had her in the spooling chamber. Okay. Oh, my uh, God. I actually didn't know how that story was resolved. But I actually want to oh, say about that. that is, I thought this that was is the... what it's from. Oh, my God. <laughs> I yeah, know. I know. You're right. Okay, that does connect in. <laughs> I thought this was kind of one of the things that I liked that came out of this story was the reconfiguration of Celine, who started mm -hmm. out as a genuinely terrifying character and then essentially domesticated herself to the point where she's just hanging out and drinking champagne. Uh, right. So I think the idea of tearing her up and leaving her sort of unhealed you've got this desperate vampire on the loose that's a nice way to kind of um, um i don't know give, give us a, a new look at selene and give selene a new sense of purpose creating a villain who is out there which is something excalibur needs they need more villains so i thought that was not bad yeah she was scary as hell in this would, i mean she would have been is useful if she'd be... come back yeah. <laughs> she doesn't i don't think she shows up again so it's not you know <laughs> yeah not in this book but i mean she's genuinely terrifying here though i mean both through the fact that she's able to endure this spooling chamber for who knows how long whereas kurt went through one cycle and wasn't even gonna make it so that's a real like build up for her because you're like holy shit <laughs> she's a badass and yeah. yeah i mean that image of her at the end where she's like partly unspooled and like going through the swamp i mean i'm just like that was a good celine page i have to give it that i have to give i have to give her some props here i, I found her genuinely terrifying here and amanda was very lucky that she was able to draw on the well of her deep otp love for kurt wagner <laughs> and, it's strong and, and, it's sudden, and it's cruel sometimes but it might just save your life that's the power <laughs> i'm just nice doing my done. own soundtrack i'm sure you'll edit those in later but <laughs> god i totally i totally i totally better yeah i don't know do we want to talk about talk about the third one well i mean i should mention because I, like I feel one. that i feel that our i feel that our audience no. will expect me to mention um the many extreme postures of kurt throughout this sequence which Oh. <laughs> you know can be a little bit gazy i mean i like the one after he comes out of the spooling chamber where like he and amanda are on the ground and that's like a very that's a very statuesque pose that he's striking there where he's leaning forward and his muscles are rendered in exquisite detail in some of these some of these pages and yeah i mean they're having fun with his body i'll give them that i don't know if it's my favorite thing in the entire world but they're definitely having fun with it but anyway yeah let's talk about the third one who piped in saying that they liked it was that you andrew i've said he liked it no no i oh, was mav me. yeah don't love it like it it's okay. logically consistent within itself it completely revamps like i mean i'm i'm led to believe from this story that warlock died before doug which is not true um it's the exact opposite happened but i feel like there is a beginning a middle and an end to this story to where a a real life author thought things through and told a story that like was consistent within itself and does not distract from anything that was set up the literal page before now from issues before uh, yeah absolutely it, it it doesn't and it's trading on it's trading on my love for these characters in better books <laughs> that than this yeah. and like it's just expecting me to like be like you love kitty you love doug you love warlock so you'll love this story that's what they're doing hey look here's a panel with Ilyana. that's just for you like uh, like that's what it's doing and i and i <laughs> i get that i get that it's manipulative but this is the quality of story that i expect to see in an annual <laughs> and for a dozen pages fine like so for me this was the best of the three it's not great but i liked it because i think that it like it at least doesn't 
get in its own way that's where i was with yeah it. yeah like i i enjoyed parts of the i think i'm i'm sure the first time i read this and i think i've probably read this issue a few times and probably every time i read it i probably skipped these data pages <laughs> like not data pages but like the the personal log pages because blog. yeah it's a blog yeah, I'm, it, it's, it's a blog about like how i lost my virginity to my robot friend yeah yes <laughs> that, it is that's what, which that's is what, what i noticed upon reading it this yeah. time because yeah. i'm gonna level with you if i encounter a text page in the comic i'm not reading all that <laughs> i am no. skipping over it <laughs> i am here to read a comic not a text page but like yeah reading it over this time in context of the conversations we've been having about doug and you know i've read more of that story now than i had the first time i read this i was like i was intrigued by this monologue from him and some of the discussion of like the relationship with warlock and like oh i thought it would hurt but then it opened up my consciousness and i never want to go back to feeling singular and there was a lot of stuff here where like yeah, yeah. if you haven't read this and you're interested in the queer aspects of that relationship you better go and pick this up because i think you would enjoy it oh don't pick it up no it's not worth it it's not that great come on don't don't hurt it's worth people. it it's worth it <laughs> if it's in a quarter bin maybe don't don't spend cut i mean this is three dollars for canadian please don't like don't don't overdo don't oversell it's not not that worth it it's it's interesting i guess i don't know i mean i'm reading it now it's like when we were in asgard i merged with warlock i saw him the better half of the team supreme dying needing food to survive and my guts twisted up with fear i wanted to help him but i was afraid it would be painful i'd never have been much on pain but i couldn't let him die here was a chance for me to really make a difference so i soul merged with warlock i gave him some of my life force energy in return i was able to see through his eyes all the auras that every living thing radiates it was so beautiful i mean that's sexy come on Signed sexiness Anastasia right there <laughs> <laughs> it was an orgiastic experience it couldn't be more clear <laughs> Anyway, I did find that intriguing. I did find it intriguing. I'm I'm grasping at straws for this one. I realize, I realize, but still. Andrew, you hate it. It sounds like. Yeah, I'm on the other side. Okay, so <laughs> go for well, it. Just to address your two points. So, so the first point that Anna just made, I hear what you're saying, and I, I like it as prose in its own context. But like the thing in writing is show don't tell, mm-hmm. and they kind of did show and then tell eight yeah. years later. You know what uh-huh. I mean? Like. like I already saw these scenes and they, I thought they were better yep. rendered in the comic. They were better so last there was like time. A, yes. Yeah. So there's a nostalgia mm-hmm. thing there. Uh, and then the other piece was just kind of Mav talking. You've said this a few times on this episode that like annuals, you have such low expectations for, but like yeah. some of the really good stories referenced in this annual, the stuff that's making it good. Yeah. Was much from better. annuals. Yes. From annuals. You know what I mean? Like, like, like there's some <laughs> and good much, annuals. And much better ones. There. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. He, they're, they're talking about, they're talking about the Asgardian war and that's yeah, a, a good then, story. <laughs> It's a good story. It's a really good story. And then the part that kind of bugged me was towards the end, especially where like there's no nuance to it. And it's just Doug saying stuff that could literally only have meaning in the context of him being about to die. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. like it was it was too close to home. It was like, dear kitty, if I happen to go to an island with animated genetic people, (laughs) I'll probably try to save Rain's life if it comes to that. And I'm okay with that. You know what I mean? Like it just it, it felt a little too on the nose for me. I, I thought it would have been more interesting to yeah. explore aspects of the character's experiences that we were not already privy to or that didn't directly relate to his current existence quite so on the nose. That's my take. So I said yeah, I, I just didn't like it, but no i mean that's that's fair i'm just i'm always i'm like i mean just in terms of that retrospective thing i think i'm just like giving it credit in terms of i'm just interested in how this stuff gets reframed when it is reframed and it was interesting to me how those elements that we were seeing in it which were clearly there like are acknowledged by the tech i mean again this isn't like explicit queer acknowledgement or anything but i mean i'm looking at one of the one of the later entries now and it's like each night i wake up screaming drenched in sweat afraid i'm losing my mind i feel so mm-hmm. powerless without warlock i'm afraid i am just a cypher yeah. and it's like ooh, that's a lot okay yeah that's well, good I, I take my back yeah it's the, well it's it's the fanfic version of a better story like andrew's saying like mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. and and that's i think why i like it right because i don't you know i i said they remix things there's a little bit of retconning going in here in order to make the story work the way they want it to work but i deeply enjoyed new Mutants during that era i loved this yeah. book and 
you know, coming soon, the Gosh Golly Wild New Mutants podcast, because when Doug dies... <laughs> Don't tease that. <laughs> <no>. <laughs> yeah. When Doug dies, it's deeply affecting. It is a... If you've never read oh, The yeah. Fall of it's the fantastic. Mutants arc of New Mutants, where um, where they go and they, they're fighting the stupidest villain in the stupidest yeah. situation, and Magneto is right. Doug has absolutely no reason to be there he's only there because he's got an inferiority complex and he wants to prove that he belongs there but he doesn't belong there and there's bullets flying around and he gets killed yet it's beautiful it is a touching beautiful moment where you're like he gave his life to protect the people he loves who frankly probably would have been fine, <laughs> you know, but, but like it feels real because it feels like this is something that a teenager this deeply affected who, you know, was really kind of, he really was sort of kind of starting an actual romantic relationship with rain at that point after having been, you know, rejected by Kitty repeatedly. And then like, I don't know if he managed to like hook up with Psylocke or not. That was kind of a weird point in comics, but, but like, he's got a problematic teenage boy love life. And he finally gets into a situation where, where he's positioned to, you know, sort of be with somebody who is in a position to reciprocate. So he throws everything into it and does his machismo thing and he gets killed. And it's a deeply affecting story. And it's even better because of the next arc where, where Warlock can't deal with it. And like everything about that, those are emotions that like I loved. And I liked seeing them referenced here because Doug Locke is an afterthought in the rest of Excalibur. Like he's in the main continuity right now, but like, like, is he Doug? Is he Warlock? I don't know because the comic doesn't have enough time to deal with trying to figure it out. And this made me feel like there was a story there that connected to something that I deeply cared about. And I acknowledge yeah. that it's not actually good. I acknowledge that I'm bringing stuff to it in order to make that happen. Yeah. I'm doing the wrote a better comic right. thing, but like the, but I think, I think they're asking me to do that work. So yeah. even though it's not the best story, I think they, that is the intention. They are getting, they're getting the emotional response from me that they want to get from me as somebody who read these stories in 1987, 86, whenever it was. Yeah. So you're just saying, I mean, the nostalgia, the nostalgia worked for mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I was also affected by that. I mean, I just read part of that one log about, you know, the loss of Warlock. And there's also a thing that's underscored in that one. I just wanted to mention it about he's wor he's having these nightmares where he has the Technor, the transmode virus, and he's infecting everybody. And like, ooh, there was a lot of queerness to that, too. Like, my technological Midas touch turns me into a pariah and outcast because he's merged with Warlock. And it's like, ooh. I was interested in those in those sign postings um just in light of some of the things going on with those characters but i totally take both of your points on it i think there's totally a reading where the nostalgia will work for you and also yeah clearly like telling the meaning of better stories uh yeah. so yeah equally true i don't know what like i sort of i I didn't hate Kurt's little speech at the end. Like I thought that this was the best that this conflict has been handled up to now because I've been frustrated with some of Kitty's interactions with Doug Locke. And this is repetitive because we're sort of doing this issue out of order because we're, we should have done this like eight issues ago or something. So I don't know if it would have been better in continuity because we've already gone through this thing and solved it with Kitty. So it feels like going backwards, but it's not really going backwards because we're actually out of order. But anyway, like, you know, Kurt giving her the speech of like people can't be who you want them to be you have to accept who they are i mean that's a decent sentiment i mean that applies to lots of different situations i don't hate it and it's something that not just the well the reader but also kitty the character struggles with that and always has mm -hmm. kitty has right. kitty has very much you know since she was 13 had a really hard time with understanding that people are not her ideal of them whether that's Peter or Ilyana or the professor or herself, you know, mm -hmm. so that is it's it's on par that, of course, she would have a tr have trouble accepting Doug Locke because she she's bad at this in general. And also he's got her best friend's face. Like he's wearing <laughs> his face, so like you know, this is not just this is not just hey, the boy that you like doesn't like you back. This is you're wearing his face, <laughs> and that's weird. Yeah, I mean, I. <laughs> 
There's some funny dialogue in this exchange, but I still like it. Like the final three panels of the story where Kurt's saying like he can be Doug, but sorry, he can't be Doug, but he can be your friend if you let him. I remember a time when you were afraid of me. I would have been very sad if you had never opened your heart to let me in. Oh, fuzzy. I know you're right. <laughs> and this lies. I guess I was trying to raise dead mutants with megabytes. It's pretty stupid, huh? But then, like, you get the nice hug at the end of, like, no catching, only human. And I'm like, that was the, I said Kurt seemed out of character begging for help. This was one of those things where, like, that's completely Kurt. He, like, brings up the pain of being rejected by her, and then he's the one giving her a hug. And I'm like, mm -hmm. that was nice. I liked that. That was very Nightcrawler to me. Well, Doug Luck's just creeping on this, though. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> he's a robot he doesn't know better <laughs> all right do we want to do some final thoughts about it sort of moments that we might want to spotlight from any of these any of these wonderful stories that we read for today <laughs> give us each a chance to do one uh andrew would you like to go first anything you want to circle back to or a moment that you want to talk about uh just to, to briefly reference the attempts to make ahab happen with a oh the ahab pinup putting that on my wall <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean that's weird in general right he's like a genocidal torturer and you're gonna put him on like i get that like it's just a story and everything but i mean god i really hope nobody put that on their actual wall i mean questions it's larry yeah. stroman it's nice i mean i get it yeah. but <laughs> Draw literally any other character. <laughs> well, he does on the next page. He draws yeah, he does the, the Nightcrawler one. Yeah. yeah. And and the third pinup is like of the containment center. That was mine. That was going to be my final thought. Um, uh, why? I, I mean, it's uh, like, I and the artwork is colored such that the red print that says what it is yeah like it is poor logo type placement so it's not clear what you're even looking at and like so when i first when i first read it i don't know about when i first read it you know two decades ago but when i first read it for this reread i'm like is that have are, are we looking at their train the excalibur train that they had for the cross time cave what is this yeah. supposed to be and then it's like oh underground it's the containment center why what 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 is this it is this was a weird choice it's like hey this is just a a spot that we have that we felt like drawing and we'll give it a two-page spread <laughs> it's like how much of my like four dollars canadian paid for like this two-page spread <laughs> of, like clearly <laughs> someone just drew a cool picture of a machine and they're like we'll just put that in and put a label on it right yeah <laughs> it's a nice drawing i mean i'm not hating yeah, it's but I fine. Just, why is it here <laughs> it it looks like it's it looks like somebody was was drawing a background that was supposed to be used somewhere else and like just like you know sort of super so uh, just a way that things happen with comics sometimes is you'll have assistant artists you know drawing backgrounds for the main artist or um, in the digital age you might have like a set that you can just kind of photoshop into the back so that you don't have to redraw it every time that's what we did all, we did that all the time when i was drawing when i was writing and drawing hellcat this looks like someone had a cool set of the containment unit and maybe if someone were walking out of it that might be neat <laughs> I don't. I don't no. know why I'm looking at it. I'd buy this playset. Like lots of different <laughs> 1980s action figures would look good in here. Um, <laughs> did I step on? Did we step on your final thought, Andrew? Or was it just the Ahab thing? I just wanted to point out the pinup of Ahab. Mm. <laughs> I wanted to point out that I definitely look as spectacularly glamorous every time I read a book lying on my couch as Kurt does reading a book lying on the couch in this one page from the third story. He's like lounging in the ultra skinny jeans and the purple Henley with the book positioned in his outstretched arm. He's just looking very loungy glamorous. I really appreciated the dedication to making him look so in this panel. And yeah, completely Completely, 100%. I look that good reading a book all the time. Every time. I actually do have a different thing with this story that we didn't talk about. With it. This, this is the thing <laughs> please, that I didn't like please. in this story. It's, uh, Kitty's mom mails her a box of floppy disks. If you've not, you know, we're, we're in 2023, so maybe you've never l used a floppy disk before if you're a younger listener. But, like, if there's, if there's 50 fl floppy disks in here, it weighs, I'm going to say, two pounds. The tops. Mm -hmm. Like, at, at the most. So, Kurt and Lockheed combine 
to carry this for Kitty. That I've was got odd. The, I'm going to teleport this to your room for you. And then she, and then now it's in her room. And then she so now, goes to the now, room. Now she's got to walk to her room. She could have carried it. It's a box. It's a box that I sent in the mail. What are they doing? I didn't understand that. I didn't understand that exchange. Like, how is that, how is that helpful for her? Like, what if she was going to use the computer in a different room? Like, what, what, why, how have you helped her in any way, shape, or form? That was the weird part for me. I 100% just chalked it up to, we need another two pages in this story, so let's fill them up with teleporting a box back and forth between rooms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had no other explanation for why that is there. But... <laughs> Staying. There's a meeting of the round table. No, I can't. Um, on that note, um, I think we will leave things there. Next, we will be covering Excalibur number 93, The Spire, in which Wolfsbane goes home. And in X-Men comics, you know what that means, a heaping helping of trauma. But actually, Rain kind of <laughs> handles it pretty well. It's not too bad. It's another talky issue that we, once again, look forward to talking about, much like the Excalibur 92 issue we covered before this one. Um, in the meantime, if you liked what you heard, please follow us, like, and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it or watching it. Don't forget to check out the fabulous YouTube videos, which we've done for many of our earlier episodes, which you can find via our website or the Vox Popcast YouTube channel. As always, if you want to chat with us about Excalibur or pitch yourself as a guest for a future episode, let us know. You can reach out via our website, goshgollywow.com We've got some fun extras and via Twitter at goshgollywow where we post daily pages from whatever issue we're reading that week and more fun extras. Thank you Andrew and Matt for saving me from unspooling. Thank you all for listening <laughs> and a special thanks to Maximilian of Thought for Music for a truly epic theme song. Play us out. I struggled with that joke at the end, and I was like, oh no, that's perfect. 100% accurate <laughs> at this point at the joke. <laughs>